This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, music, motorcycles, and married to a nurse. Jason McCoy has had a wild year dropping new music with Canadian country stars, the Roadhammers. That is his other band, away from his solo career. They're fantastic. It's good party tunes. While also supporting his family as she works as a part-time nurse and his kids who are trying to be raised through COVID. He shares the story with us here on The Shift. Greg Fish is back to dive into the world of weird things and the ways that anti-vax rhetoric is impacting the fight against COVID-19. We also talk about misinformation and kind of a global look at the pandemic. And is it even possible to sort of nip this and take care of it? On the International Dispatch with Sir Christopher Gilbert, Chris tells us about the most boring man in the world of sports, plus news that raises more questions than answers. It's time for the International Dispatch with Sir Christopher Gilbert. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Chris, since you've escaped Canada, is pumpkin spice a thing in Japan? Pumpkin spice? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I can tell you that Starbucks is a huge thing in Japan. They L-O-V-E Starbucks, yeah. Like, adore really? Starbucks. Yeah, so I imagine that... Um, like things like Christmas are imported, obviously imported uh, occasions. So, you know, like at Christmas time, they kind of puts a Japanese spin on it. It's very much a time for making out, um, literally, like making out with people um, and for making babies and uh, for eating chicken. But uh, Halloween and autumn is, um, you know, the, the leaves turn here a lot. You know, there's a lot of trees that that you know Japan is very famous for its autumn leaves. So um, it's very easy for the Japanese, I think, to understand the color orange um, that it, to associate it with uh, this time of year. And uh, pumpkins, they understand pumpkins. And um, culturally, I mean, I don't, I don't mean they understand the concept of a pumpkin. I mean, like, they know about Halloween and jack-o'-lanterns and stuff. So um, I think pumpkin spice kind of goes along with that a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I would, say, I would say yes is my answer. I didn't think, you know, because Japan's been around for a long time that there was much of a Thanksgiving, you know? No, there's not. I mean, uh, there's no Thanksgiving here. But, uh, like, I do think these things are kind of just brought over by, you know, marketers and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but I, I do think it's relatively new. I think I encountered myself pumpkin spice really for the first time when I lived in Vancouver. Hmm. Like, you guys love your pumpkin spice over there. <laughs> wow. Oh. I don't, but yes, you are correct. So if you don't know Sir Christopher Gilbert, Potato Chip Gilbert, Potato Chip Gilbert, Gilbert, yeah, um, that's uh, his song for his cat that doesn't exist. Uh, Chris here was one of the shift head members on the show, uh, the show producer, and then he's a Kiwi who went to Japan, then came here to Canada, and then said enough of that and went back to Japan, and uh, still is kind of here. So I guess that's that's kind of the whole story of all of it. I can't cut that last string. You know what I mean? I just, it just, I know. I've got to stay tied somehow. You know. You love um, the Canadians. The Canadians took my driver's license, so I, I, this is like a, sorry, this is a personal like gripe for me. But like, oh, I gripe recently, away. I, I only today ordered a replacement of my New Zealand driver's license because when I turned my New Zealand driver's license into a Canadian driver's license, they took my New Zealand driver's license, which I felt. I'm still offended by it. You have no right, no right to take my driver's license, even though you gave me one to drive in the wrong side of the road, the the one, you know, the side of the road that you drive on. 
I'm, Do you I'm drive on, is the right side of the road in New Zealand? It's the left. We're, 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 you know, Australasian left. Really? All the way. Yeah. Really? Japan and it's too. like that in Japan too, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so right. Maybe that's yeah. why you feel home there. I feel very much at home. I love watching the Americans and the Canadians having to sit driving tests here. It's, it's, it's a thing of beauty for me, whereas I can just change my license straight around. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching, you know, you know, Canadians and Americans being like, ooh, what's this a boot? You know, as they drive around, you know, the little <laughs> and the toy cars and, and, and the back there for their driver's license. But um, I do you, um, Do you walk in the wrong side when you were in Canada? Would you rock on, walk on the wrong side of the mall or the sidewalk rock, and try to pass people on the, on the left? I know it's um, a mouthful. <laughs> um, I mean, do you guys walk on the right over there? I can't remember. Well, typically in a shopping mall, you see people, they tend to go the same way as they would on a road. Except for the families you, that walk six across really slowly I, talking to each other like they've never hung out before. You did just hang out before. You were in the same house. You took three cars to the mall, yeah. and now you're walking that wide, slowly meandering, still talking to each other in the mall. That was my I, right. I was, I was going to say, like, I think most people in, in uh, malls don't actually walk on any given side. They walk looking at their phones, bumping into things head first. Um, mm. But like the, I do find it difficult here because here you're meant to walk on the left and you're meant to walk uh, cycle on the left, same way you drive. But um, actually, this is a perfect segue because lots of foreigners here like to com complain because um, uh, people here just walk and cycle everywhere. Cause it's, it's Tokyo. It's chaos, baby. You know, it, it's like people are walking towards you. They're cycling towards you. They're pushing things towards you. And um, you know, you get a lot of British guys who come over here being like, oh, well, you know, like you're meant to walk on the left side of the road. And I don't know why you're walking towards me, which is perfect, because my first story tonight is actually about a complaining British man who should oh. be quiet. Right. Ed. Yeah. Do you, do you want to hear about it? I do. Would you tell me about it? Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you about it. Sure. I'll just... I wasn't sure we were going with that, Shane, but I'll jump right in. Oh, yeah, no, um, I was good. I was I was wrong. I, I was thinking back of my uh, uh, my Downton Abbey show that I'm addicted to. Are you? Wait, wait, wait. You're addicted to Downton Abbey? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I, I've fallen in love with it. I don't know what happened. I can't stop watching it. Oh, no, that's bleak. we got to save Shane. Oh, I know, but it's great, though. I love it. I couldn't be happier. Oh my god! Can you at least like segue to something else, like like instead of Downton Abbey, like the Great British Bake Off or something? I love the Great British Bake Off too, though. Yeah, me too. I love Noel Fielding. I love Noel Fielding. Like like Noel Fielding, Noel Fielding. Just you know, for the listeners, is who doesn't who don't you know aren't perverted and watch the Great British Bake Off. He's one of the hosts, and uh, someone once asked him like uh, on the show. Oh, do you do you do much baking at home, Noel? And Noel's like, no, baking's for losers. And I was immediately <laughs> in love with him. Um, that's why I love the Great British Bake Off. I'm not talking about Noel Fielding. I'm talking about um, Andrew Baron Murray, um, Andy Murray, um, the 34 year old man called Andrew who still calls himself Andy. That's the first problem with Andrew Murray, is mm. uh, he he refers to himself as Andy still um, professionally. Uh, he uh, recently lost his first uh, U.S. Open match against. Um, oh, okay, let me, I can get this right. Uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, I, I don't know if I got that right or not, but I, I did my best, everyone. Um, 
It was a really. Did you guys know about this game? It went on for like five hours. It was really intense. No. Murray lost. Um, he lost. He the score was like two six seven six three six six three six four. So it was a five set game, and in the fifth set, you know, it went on for quite a lot a while. Um, you know, Tsitsipas had to you know go do um, you know nature was calling. It was like hour four, hour four and a half at that point. So he uh, went to, uh, you know, use the facilities and uh, for a bathroom break. And uh, on court, uh, Andy Murray wasn't so happy about it. This is what Andy Murray had to say. I feel it influenced the outcome of the match. No, not, not necessarily. I'm not saying I necessarily win that match for sure, but it, it had influence on what was happening um, after those breaks and, you know, I rate him a lot. I think he's a brilliant player and I think he's great for the game. Um, but I have zero time for that stuff at all and I lost respect for him. Ooh. That was going to be the second club I wanted to play because I wanted to talk about how boring Andy Murray is off the back of that. But we can talk mm. about that now. How boring is Andy Murray, first of all? That's like, so boring. My goodness. I can't so believe that. Boring. Like, I do, I'm sorry, all I heard was blah, 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 blah. And, like, how can you do a whole press conference like that Guys, with that tone of voice? Um, sorry, I, I, yeah. we found the British equivalent of a Canadian hockey player giving an interview. What? Oh, oh, really? Yeah. What Says is that? nothing. That's it. That's, That's it, it right you there. You know, a Canadian, Chris, if a Canadian hockey player gets interviewed, it's, you know, how do you think the game is going? And they'll always answer, Oh, well, you know, we're getting pucks in deep and we just got to hit the four check a little bit harder. And uh, we're having uh, the team's been working down. hard there. You know, coaches working got hard. some new systems. Oh, that's it. This so is it. It's like I the relate All to Blacks this. then. Because the coach of the All Blacks, we used to have a coach called Steve Hansen, who was the previous coach of the New Zealand rugby team. And he always did that. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a game of two halves and we kick the ball in deep. But, you know, the other team, they fought back pretty hard. And, and uh, at the end of the day, boys did a good job. And he would draw on like that for probably, you know, like I reckon he sucked two or three years off most sports, sports journalists' lives. <laughs> it was you know, um, to. since you're talking about sports and strange sports, I'll toss this your way. I've been recently been introduced to Gaelic football. You familiar oh. with that? I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the, the two words independent of each other. Yeah. Um, so Gaelic football is very similar to rugby, except it's not like an oblong rugby ball. It's more like a volleyball. What? It's huge in Ireland. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the thing. It is, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's just watching and it's the crowds and the yelling. It's all the same excitement and guys crashing into each other with no helmets. This sounds awesome. This sounds like somewhere like because Aussie rules is kind of like a mixture of um, rugby and soccer. Um, this looks like one of the most difficult things about playing rugby. I don't know if you guys have ever played rugby is that the shape of the ball. It bounces in a really odd way. It's a really unpredictable ball. If you've ever tried to like, like bounce a rugby ball, like a basketball, it's near impossible. So mm -hmm. I imagine having the round ball, you know, kind of like makes that a little bit um, easier to control. But I'm just looking at a photo of it now. It kind of looks like, yeah, they're playing rugby with a volleyball. It's kind of like playing rugby with some there's some differences, nuances. I do know this. The finals are coming up September 11th. Croke Park in Dublin, Tyrone versus Mayo. Uh, I just know that from 
That's for my buddy Julie. If you're into the yeah. uh, Gaelic football uh, total sidebar yeah. there, but still fascinating. You're, you're not going to get it on the 6 p.m. news. You, you got to get you got to get this info from Shane. You know, it's the only source right? for this stuff. Yeah, you know, it's all true. the Gaelic football fans out there. We're here to support the uh, the Gaelic football in Canada. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm going to. You know what? I'm going to be actually just complete tangent again. This is all over the place yeah. tonight. But have you been sure, watching the Paralympics? Have, you, have, you been have I been? I've been watching yeah. the highlights of the Paralympics. I find it's absolutely remarkable what some of those people do. Oh my goodness! A doesn't that make you feel terrible about yourself? Like, what am I doing yeah. with my life? Like, there's a guy playing table tennis who has no arms, and I'm just you know like on my phone like playing Angry Birds in the year 2021, which is probably the most depressing game you can play in the year 2021. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm still doing this, you know? I don't tell people. Yeah, amazing. Yep. I was going to say, there's, I don't know what it's called, but it's one of the athletics track and field ones where the folks are, they, um, they're, they're kind of hand pedaling. Yeah. And they've got, um, the, the wheels in the back. Um, and I don't know if it's, uh, no use of the legs or no legs or whatever it is, but there's no support from the legs. So you're hand pedaling yeah. kind of on a bike. And like these people are just fierce. Machines. And they're just machines and powerful and they're going ridiculously hard. Like 110% as a, uh, as an example does not describe how hard these people are working. And then they finish it and they smile and they are the happiest humans that you've ever seen in your life. That's the payoff of the Paralympics is right when the the Paralympics is awesome. It is so cool. I'm sorry. It's so much better than the Olympics. The Olympics is boring. Who wants to see that? No one wants to see that. You know, like it makes you feel terrible, you know, looking at these people. Paralympics is inspiring. Like, yeah, I watched one called the other day called Goalball, where it's like uh, the three people, it's kind of like handball, but it's three people at either end, and like they're just trying to throw a ball down the court into a net at the other end. And you have to have complete silence because the um, defending team has to hear not only which direction the ball is going, but where in the air it is, like the bounce. You know, they had to listen for the bounce so they can block it. And it's just, you know, like the, the, the ability to hear is incredible. You know, I don't, I, you know, I'm still learning to listen to my girlfriend. You know, I'm still trying to be like, <laughs> I'm still trying to be like a person that's not like, wait, wait, no, I want to talk, you know, and these people can listen to a, like this ball going across the, across the room. Yeah. It's amazing. Know? So it, amazing. What's not amazing, just to sum this up, what's not amazing and should be cancelled, I'm cancelling him right now, is Andy Murray. Um, because uh, he is, um, first of all, can I just say, a little bit controversial, but white British guys, be quiet. You've had your time. You know? <laughs> like, you've had the stage for 400 years. The only time I want to hear a white British guy complaining is if it's someone from uh, Wales or Scotland complaining that they are part of Britain. That's what I want to hear. The rest of the complaints go away. Andy Murray is complaining that his opponent took too long in the bathroom. Um, Brendan, can we, this, this is on court, this other clip. Can we can we hear the other clip, clip real quickly? Well, here's the thing. Do we we only it? got the one clip from you with boring oh, Andy. No. That's why oh, I was confused earlier when you were like, oh, this I the bathroom the break? This is the bathroom break. Oh, is clip. it the bathroom break clip? It's the, hey, bathroom. the bathroom break. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hit it. Okay. You have that team one? meeting. Well done. Yeah. Sorry well, about that. I'll, I'll go back to being chatter. quiet here. At the end of the fourth, but whatever he did. For 20 minutes every time. 
Well, how long do you think it was? And the toilet's right there. What's he doing? What's he doing in there? It's never once taken me that long to go to the toilet, ever. And it's right there. It was eight minutes. He was in the toilet for eight minutes. It's not that long. And Andy Murray's like, oh, I've never been in the toilet. I'm just like, you've never been in the toilet for eight minutes before? Really? Like, you're that quick at pooping? I don't think so. Like, no, eight minutes is a perfectly reasonable amount of time to be in the toilet. And Andy Murray, who is 34 years old and still calls himself Andy instead of Andrew, as he should, is on court complaining. <laughs> Let us not forget Naomi Osaka when she bit Coco Goff in the US Open in 2019 had, like, the courtesy and the elevation to share the post-match interview with her and get on court and do it together as a team. And this whining little jerk is just like, oh, he's been pooping for too long in the bathroom. It's putting me off my game. Well, like, I'm sorry. If you were a bit of tennis player, you wouldn't let someone pooping affect you. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with Andy Murray. He's canceled. He's gone. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand how you could take a poop break in the middle of a tennis match. But all right. Well, that's why you're not a pro athlete, Shane. Oh, that, that's among many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, among many reasons. Uh, we got a couple of minutes here. Did you, uh, which yeah. one, which gives you got a couple more ideas. Where do you want to go? Okay. Okay. I'll give you guys um, the option. Uh, people want UGO to be in the Olympics. Thieves I like the questions. One. After, you want the, what one do you like? Yeah, I like the the questions. The more the news that raises more questions than answers. I, okay, I like so, that list. Well, yeah, let's do the Belgium one because I, I gave I gave Shane in in my debrief today or my brief um, just some stories that raise more questions than they answer. And Thank one you for of getting that be- right. By the way, most people get brief and debrief wrong. That's awesome. Thank you for nailing that. No, you're well. I mean, I'm here to correct the record on all things, including um, whining British people. But uh, yeah, no, brief debrief comes afterwards. Uh, thieves attempt to steal a Monet from the Dutch Museum, but they drop it mid-escape. It sounds fairly straightforward. I'm sure this new story is going to explain. This is from um, Smith, uh, Smithsonian. I can never say this. SmithsonianMag.com. Yeah. Uh, so the story reads, uh, on Sunday morning, two armed robbers attempted to steal a Monet painting from the Dutch Museum. Uh, they didn't get far. As they tried to escape, a quick-thinking bystander intervened. I'm sure we're going to hear what happened. One of the thieves dropped the Monet in the ensuing scuffle. Then uh, the Dutch broadcaster reports they fled the scene on a black motorbike. Okay, these are armed robbers, two, mm. um, which means you know either they have a gun or some kind of sword. And nobody was hurt. The painting has since been safely restored to its home in the Zans Museum in the city of Zandam. According to a statement, witnesses heard screaming and said that one of the thieves fired shots at least once during the altercation. Um, authorities recovered the abandoned getaway motorcycle nearby and are still searching for the same the, the suspects. Um, mm-hmm. the, the story goes on for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen more paragraphs, which is all just a biography of Claude Monet. So, okay, first of all. Yeah. I don't know how many um, art thieves carry swords, like you have quoted in this. Uh, but that's really the question for me is, who robs an art gallery yes. with a painting yes. and your only getaway vehicle is a motorcycle? That yes. sounds like a recipe for disaster trying to get away on the street. You'd be like a sale. 
Yeah, no, somebody has, like, I, I feel like these two people were probably not Belgian, because if they were Belgian, they'd probably be better at stealing paintings. These are people who have watched movies, like um, that one with Sean Connery and um, the other, uh, not the, the the American lady with the black hair that used to be married. Oh, what's her name? She has three names. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like they've watched that one, and I feel like they've watched Ronan, and uh, they've been like, cool, I can do that. But I feel like we're hearing what goes on inside Sir Christopher's head. When he's thinking I know, right I give, now. I give way too much away. But uh, the other thing that's happening inside my head is you're quite right. Like, they try to steal a painting armed in the middle of the day, it sounds like, because there's other people there as bystanders. Yeah. And But the thing is that they say that as they tried to escape, a quick-thinking bystander intervened. Does not say at all what happened, which is by far the most interesting part of the story which is how like some old man, I imagine like an old like um, Belgian man in like a, a cheese cutter hat with like, you know, three different shades of brown plaid, you know, like a suit and a cane. And he just like whips his cane out and he, he trips the, the guys up and the, the, the painting goes comically flying through the air, but lands back on its hook on the wall. That's what I imagine happening. But this story does not say actually at all what happens. It just said, Someone intervened. There was a, uh, a kerfuffle, a scuffle, a scuffle, and some witnesses heard screaming. And that's it. That's all we know. Like, come on, it's it's a paint thievery. <laughs> oh my god! It's a paint thievery. It's, it's, oh it's man! A, it's a painting thing. That's great. I Give love me it. details. I love it. It's I'm fantastic. Back. Sir Christopher Gilbert, live from Tokyo, Japan, here with the International Dispatch. Chris, thank you, brother. It's great to see your face. You look great. Yeah, no, it's good to see you guys, too. I have great lighting tonight, so I hope you enjoyed it. You can't see me at home, but I look fantastic. Have a lovely week. This is The Shift Podcast. New seasons, new music maybe a new life that allows us to i don't want to say new life without a pandemic a new life that allows us to go to concerts through a pandemic all of these things are hopeful we were looking at new music and there's a uh, a little country group of fellas that um they're called the road hammers yeah they have new music out and jason mccoy is here how are you i'm doing great man how are you I'm good. Thanks for being here and spending some time. It's nice to see your face again. It's probably been two years, dude, since we've been able it's to visit. It's been a couple of years, man. You see in the face all these things on Zoom. I, I would have got cleaned up. I just uh, finished cutting my mom's grass, so I'm uh, <laughs> doing some domestic duties here. That's good. I got to tell a story about Jason. I remember one of the first times I was introduced, so my, my buddy Jody Seeley has done work with Jason before. I went yeah. to school with Jody. She's an amazing human, announcer, uh, had an amazing radio career, too. And so Jody had introduced us and said, okay, well, here's Jason's phone number to connect to talk about, you know, some of the Christmas show stuff. And I remember phoning your house and it was literally your house. Like it wasn't your phone. It wasn't your cell phone. And there was dogs yep. barking. You're just, hello. And, and I was like, Luna. yeah, man. Yeah. And I was like, is this like Jason, did I just phone your house? You're like, oh yeah, this is my phone. <laughs> Real life, yeah. man. We're we're pretty laid back here, the old ranch. But uh, yeah, you know what? It's uh, it, it's good. Actually, we live, oh, I don't know, about an hour and a half north of Toronto. We're up just north of Barrie and uh, have a farm out here. And it's it's uh, pretty relaxed, actually. Yeah. A couple pretty of dogs, kids, some mud and dirt to play around in. It's pretty good. 
So how's it uh, how's it been for the McCoy Fam Jam through the last couple of years? You guys been hanging on all right? Yeah, actually, you know, um, relatively speaking, I mean, I've been very lucky. I do uh, a radio gig, so that's been a constant for me. Um, been writing with the guys, and you know, with the new release of the uh, EP, things are starting to come on board with uh, with more shows and stuff. But um, my wife is also a nurse; she's an ER nurse, so uh, we all know, you know, frontline workers what that's look like for them. Yeah, she's been uh, pretty busy, but the kids—it's a different story. You know, they're doing great, but maybe a little too good. The, through the whole pandemic, they um, they really enjoyed working online, mm-hmm. and as we start to look toward next month where they go back to school, there's a little reluctance because there's not a whole lot of motivation. There's a little bit of social interaction that they miss, but for the most part, like my daughter, she's in high school, she's 15. She wants to be around her friends, right? But my son, he's just turned 12 and as soon as the pandemic hit, I mean, he got to spend time on his dirt bike, hang with the dogs and go online yeah. for a little bit of time. It was pretty good. You pretty know? good life, yeah. Um, but you know for a lot of folks it just it, it certainly wasn't great and uh hasn't been great we got to remember that as we pull out of this there's a lot of people who took big hits in this restaurant owners uh, and 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 entertainers yeah. uh, musicians you know your journey musicians yeah. it's been a very painful time uh let me ask you the husband question um your bride is a big part of your life you've shared that with me before you know mm-hmm. sort of the partner in crime the peas to your carrots um and <laughs> carrots that's great how um being the husband and and watching your wife come home on those those tough days i mean how's that uh, has that been difficult or has that been you know is it does it solidify things yeah and she's not even full time you know like uh so it's to see what she goes through but she comes home and laments how tough it is for those who are full-time i mean and she you know she does 12-hour shifts which inevitably turn into 13 14s but uh, when she tells me the stories or was telling me the stories in the thick of it, and they're a small hospital, keep in mind, up in Midland, Ontario, but they're very busy. Uh, the workload on top of the workload, right? So you got your standard workload and then you've got the, the COVID concern. Uh, I, I'm a radio. I'm just telling silly jokes on the radio all day or writing songs during the day. You know, it's not, it's not life and death stuff. So when you see somebody who I think nurses and frontline workers are chronically underpaid when you look at a lot of other uh, sectors, but that's another topic. Um, when you think of all the things they have to go in and do and ungown, gown, and then all the stress of the regular caseload, it's uh, almost insurmountable. No wonder there's been a lot of people who have taken early retirement, understandably so. Yep. Uh, a lot of younger people too that we see, and not just through her imparting this, but we've seen it a lot in healthcare where they're they're putting lifestyle over job security. So they're yep. saying, you know what, I'm going to work three days a week. I'm going to work four days a week, something like this, as opposed to, you know, I'll do anything to keep that position because they, they realize they have to have life balance. So yep. it's, it's hard to keep that healthcare system rolling along that way. Yeah. And it's a, it, it might be a good lesson for some of us who just um, grinded it out when we were younger too. Um, there could be lessons to be learned there as well, which is interesting. So I, I will, I have to pass this on to you, Jason McCoy, because my audience, the shift heads have been very clear to me about this is that when it comes to hospital workers and all that stuff, yes, so important life and death, the audience folks and the people that do listen to you on the radio, they do create the distinction of the difference between trying to live and being alive 
And your music will do that. Your hosting will do that. Will create aliveness versus just trying to live. And that is a gift that can't be forgotten. And that I've learned that from my audience and use that as a, as a reminder for you and what you do and ask you about the road hammers and what you guys have been up to. Well, you know, uh, we've been writing for this EP. It's been a long time coming, but, um, it's finally here just released last week and uh you know it's kind of surreal because when you would release a record during quote unquote normal times um you'd be ramping up to it going around visiting radio stations visiting tv stations all that stuff but everything's in the box right now right everything's zoom and doing exactly what we're doing here so you're literally uh literally flying around the world just by opening your computer just talking to australia you know before this uh talking to you and then tomorrow we're uh, talking to some folks out west and so it's just it's it's a very odd thing but it's also very good too because before the pandemic um co-writing over zoom was eh, kind of a weird thing it was like eh, well we'll wait till you're in nashville if, if you're wait till you come into town we'll write now it's become the norm and it actually helps you expand your horizons a little bit so i can write with a pop rock dude in uh britain and then i can write with a country guy in nashville and you know you can do all these things day to day without traveling yeah. and it really it really helps it, it doesn't replace in person it augments it in some ways and in other ways it um may be the only way you can do it you know but it's uh, it's 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 expedited everybody embracing this technology in the creative world and that, i think that's good it is good what we invest in in our our personal lives uh, i think has shifted what we care about um walking for me is something that i could have cared less about but i it's become incredibly important to me i've through the course of this show there's a, a guest we just had on a week ago or so and he records quiet places he takes a stand for quiet parks just no noise pollution places in the world that have no noise pollution and then well, he goes I, there and, and records i hope this is uh quiet enough here because i just realized as i started <laughs> uh, i have somebody putting in what i think is a pool back there or they're destroying one it's, it's so it sounds big but it's fine we can hear you okay you um can hear it? it's real life oh we're good yeah i can hear some thumping and clanking it is it is real life the um but you know we look at these things and and it starts to change because we've been more present to different conversations ride for dad's been a big thing for you for a while now um how's that going well it's 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 going good but there are some struggles obviously uh so ride for dad is uh a ride that happens at different chapters right across canada rideforDad.ca if you haven't checked it out but it's for uh it's it's for uh, it was started by two fellows gary and byron in ottawa uh and basically they started many many years ago i've been involved 14 years now but uh just a handful of years as national ambassador and and really it's it's to raise money and awareness and uh, for for awareness and research for prostate cancer so just as breast cancer seemed to have this taboo-ness around it for many many years until we started having runs and opening the discussion and making sure the women got checked early because it saved lives same thing goes for prostate cancer and uh and it is one of those cancers that if caught early uh you can prolong a life you can save a life um and you can go on remain have a, a very healthy uh, healthy life beyond that so um it was something that was just a natural fit for me big motorcycle fan obviously anything with wheels i mean that's the road hammers uh, mantra <laughs> but um i was asked to join the local chapter up here in orillia uh just by a friend colin who's since passed but um i just did it because it was fun and then uh, my dad uh got con uh, contracted uh, prostate cancer 
10 years ago, uh, and he uh, caught it early through early detection and, and screening and uh, was saved from that. So uh, it literally saved my dad. Uh, the fact that we were opening that conversation. And then the money raised uh, has dropped those treatments down from, I forget what it was, like uh, 35 shots of radiation down to like five now. Uh, it's, it's so inva- non-invasive now. It's, it's just amazing what they've done. And the dollars that are raised in each of these chapters' communities stay in those communities. So the reason I became so passionate about it, went from just you know kind of riding in it to becoming a national spokesman, is... Every year they would have uh, a check go out and it would go to these researchers. And a lot of times when you join a charity or give to a charity, you're pretty sure it's going to a good thing. You're not really sure where. It's kind of a faceless thing, you know? Yep, totally. Well, every year they would bring the researchers whom they'd given the check to the year before up to our ride. And these doctors, uh, not only the researchers, but the care providers, all these people would come up. And before we go on the ride, we'd have like 700 bikes there. And they would say, I'm taking this check today. I want you to know I got one of these last year, and here's what we've done. We've made this advance. We've done this. We've cut treatments down from X amount to this amount, and it's a real transparent and interactive thing. It's it's unlike anything else I've ever seen in my life, and their only mission is early detection, spread the word, save lives. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's present in my family on both sides, my mother and my father's side, and my doctor said to me, get checked early. I was hesitant, of course, as you are. Yep. Uh, my doctor was amazing. Uh, and I started getting um, my, I call it my inspection, <laughs> my yeah, inspection yeah. done. And, yeah. um, and I did, I started going for the annuals and, and you know what? It's a breeze to a point where when one of my friends says, really like you, you went for yeah. the thing, huh? Yeah. It's like, yeah, dude, like you don't even know, like it, it's, you're done and you're well, on your way out the door and, and you're, you get the thumbs up if you yeah, excuse, yeah. The excuse, yeah, the excuse the pun. Well, here's the thing. It's not a digital exam anymore. So it has nothing to do with fingers and all that kind of stuff. It's just a urine test. They check the PSA level. It's a prostate-specific antigen uh, present in the urine. And elevations in certain hormones will tell them that, hey, there could be a problem here. And then they'll go in and they'll do an MRI or things like this that they need to do. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a urine test. It's, it's nothing. So. Yeah. Uh, what is there to stop anybody from getting tested? So uh, the fact that they've been able to come this far and, and testing is that non-invasive, it's like, hey, pee in a cup, save your life. I pee almost every day. I, so. I do almost every day, too. Sometimes about five times a night, but regardless. <laughs> Depending on the beer. To, <laughs> it's all you have to do, and uh, it's simply that easy. So I'm, I'm very passionate about it because I've seen it save lives. I've seen it change lives and uh, and. and all we can do is continue to uh, increase the, the research and the awareness. It's the awareness. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Go get checked. That's uh, it. Very well said. Love it. Jason McCoy. And um, we, I, I got to ask, I mean, you do like to ride a motorcycle. There mm-hmm. uh, is many pictures of you on motorcycles on the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In fact, there probably is as many of you on motorcycles as there with a, a guitar and on stage. So mm-hmm. um, just tell us about your motorbike and because, I mean, all the bikers will be like, Shane, you didn't ask him about what to ride. Uh, well, a couple of things. I mean, I'm, uh, I've worked with Triumph Motorcycles for years now. They, they've provided bikes for me when we do the ride. Right now, it's Ride Alone Together, by the way. So, rideforDad.ca. You get pledges. You can sponsor riders. It's all, uh, you know, Ride Alone Together, just like it sounds. Uh, but we can't wait for the day we can get back and have all the riders together. But Triumph has supplied me with bikes through the years, and uh, they've been fantastic. 
Uh, but the bike, the ride's open to all all bikes, and that's what we see there. Um, I've had a Can Am Spider before. There's debate whether Did you, know, you like I, that. It's it's different. I had one for two years. Uh, it was provided for me just to try, and, uh, and you kept it for two years. <laughs> I kept it for two years. Well, they're they're fun. They're really great. Here's the thing I found about the Can Am Spider: the acceleration is unparalleled on any bike. It's like really. You know when you hop on like a big snowmobile and it's just like, whoa, here we go. It's Can-Am, right? I mean, it's yeah. just insane amount of torque. Uh, the, the turning, if you're a bike guy, you're not going to be as happy if you're expecting it to be a bike. Because when you, you don't lean into the corner, although there is that lean to it, right? It's got the whole, it's got the, the, the whatever, the, the swing arms and stuff will let you lean into the corner. But it's more like, it's more like turning a snowmobile. So there's a bit of table topping to it, but it's... It's the comfort of the red light. I mean, you got I had my kids on all the time with me, and you're just sitting there, and you got your feet up, and it's really a chill thing. But it's got insane amount of torque. Um, the other bikes I've had is uh, a lot of the uh, the Bonneville, which has been great. I love the styling of it. Um, the uh, Scrambler, they're great. Uh, the Speed Triple, which is off the hook. But personally, I have an old uh, Sportster, a ninety. I want to say it's a ninety four. It was last year they had a chain. So it was a half year before they went to belt. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just a four speed, uh, and it's 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 great. But uh, that's my wife's bike right now because I've got a um, uh, well, it's a road hammer themed chopper. So this is it's back. We we did a TV show like when they were doing West Coast Choppers, Orange County Choppers, and we had this. It's gosh, it's ten feet long. It's called a Big Bear Athena. So it's one of my favorite look. If you're into choppers, it's my favorite chopper. It's got like a teardrop long tank. It's really yeah. This cool. is the one that's got the big long uh, steering arms, right? A huge, huge raked out Springer, and it's uh, it's got again, it's got an insane amount of torque too. It's got a twin in it. It's about it's about fifteen hundred cc, <laughs> and uh, it's it's awesome. It was built by a fantastic fella out in Alberta uh, named Colin. I don't know if they build anymore, but uh, underground choppers. And I tell you, this guy, he's the bike guy. I mean, yeah. it's it's the real deal. But um, anyway, it's it's so insane. It's super loud, but it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, if you're a rider, you, you really dig it. But that Springer is so – it's a law of averages when you're going on the road. Remember, remember you used to drive like a big – Lincoln, like a 76 or even oh, yeah. any of those cars are just big boats and they just kind of, you'd aim for your lane, but you'd take the whole thing because you'd kind of float. <laughs> yeah, that, they would that's float. What, that's a good description, yep. Yeah, that's what a rake springer is all about because it's kind of like, you know, I'm, this is my lane, kind of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> when you go to point and shoot for turning, I mean, it does what you want it to do, but when you're just cruising, it's it's kind of doing its thing, man. I think you got to say it, uh, you got to play with a bad grammar and say, this is my lane's <laughs> this is my and, lanes right yeah, now. And play the bad, the bad grammar on purpose. That's to, right. Yeah, to, it's a southern thing. But, you know, we've had that bike all, all over the world. We we did, um, not over the world, I should say, all over North America. But uh, when we lived in Nashville, it was uh, it was all over the place there. I'd take it all through Tennessee. Uh, we flew it out to um, uh, Las Vegas to be part of the uh, Montgomery Gentry uh, ride. They have there during the ACMs every year. So, yeah. I've got, I think I've got a permanent burn on this one arm because of the Vegas sun. It just, it was off the hook hot. Um, and then I've ridden it quite a few places around Ontario here as well. And, and it's, uh, it's just a constant. Love it. Uh, Road Hammers, back at it, EP. Are you back at it yet or are you still on standby? 
Uh, we're standing on go, man. You know, it's it's different. It's a six-song EP. It debuted at number two on the charts, which is awesome. We're so mm-hmm. happy with that. Um, uh, we've done a few shows already, mainly in the West, of course. They're in a different position than us right now. I mean, we did the Stampede. We played Clay's hometown of Bonneville. Uh, we were just out in uh, Edmonton playing the Together Again Festival. Dean Brody and uh, Jess Moskaluk, and um, it, it was just a lot of fun. But it's not full on again yet, right? You know, like right. we're getting ready to play Hastings Crooks Rapids Country Fest. Uh, that's September four. Um, that's going to be a big show for us, especially here in Ontario, because they're really they're really going for it. You know. Yeah. And uh, with all the proper protocols, it's great. September 11, I'm playing a show, a solo show in Collingwood. Uh, it's Country Cares and uh, tons of great artists on that as well. So we're seeing these these shows, but we're still not back to the, you know, 20,000 people in a field kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, and how does it feel? I mean, you talk about Jess and, and Clayton Bellamy and all those guys. Um, you know, that really is getting the band back together. The one thing about country music that I've learned in this country is, uh, your band is your band, but the band really is the collective group of the industry folks. I mean, that really is getting the band back together. Um, how does it feel to be able to see some of those people that you haven't been able to see? Um, not necessarily the ones that you work with every day, but you normally would run into backstage on your on on the travels. Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened this weekend past. I mean, you're seeing the videographers that uh, we know and. Um, seeing our guy Sean on video, it was great. Uh, TJ, who was our guitar tech at one time, he was working with um, Jess actually uh, on that show. So as soon as we pulled up, he was the first guy I saw. And you know, it's like you see him on the internet, you know, Facebook or whatever, and you see what he's up to with his kids. And I would see them in person. It's it's like time never passed, you know. Uh, seeing our friends uh, Ian, who was on uh, sound for, um, I think he was on sound for for Jess as well. It, you know, these kind of things are it's like an extended family. So everywhere we go as musicians, there's that backstage family that you, you kind of have second and third homes all, all over the, all over the world, really. Um, but beyond that, there's those familiar faces in the, in the crowd too. You know, when you've been doing this as long as we have, you see the, the super fans who are at all the shows and uh, you know, they're the ones that are first there in line for autographs or for merch, you know, to say hi. Um, you see them posting the pictures first online and uh, to see those people in person and give them a high five. And, uh, you know, it's it feels like we're getting back to normal. We're not there yet, but it, it is coming. All right. So back at it. Um, is there is there a preferred song? I mean, I can play the boys are back at it. That to me would probably be the, the default go to from the new EP. But yeah. is there a Jason McCoy secret secret favorite child on this one that we should play instead? Oh, got a few of them. I mean, uh, you know what's interesting about the CP is there was a lot of hard drive favorites on it, like um, Giver. I wrote that with Tim Hicks seven years ago. It was just sitting on the hard drive, and I was, yeah. I really liked it, but I never pitched it to anybody. I played it for the label one day. I was like, oh, we really like that. I was like, really? So <laughs> uh, it seemed like it was more of a snowboarding commercial or something like that to me. Um, but it really is a hammer song. And yeah. not only that, they made it the current single. So that's one of my favorites. Same with Hillbilly Disco, uh, making Patrick's on it. It was just sitting there. It was kind of a guilty pleasure for years, just sitting there. We wrote it on the Bands on the Run tour with uh, Blackjack Billy and when we were out with Doc Walker and all that. And it's it's just been sitting there, and it came to the top, pitched it, boom. It's going to be a yeah. single, too. So. It's, a, it's an amazing, diverse circle of friends, isn't it, between Tim Crazy. and Megan. And you got Megan, who's like this avid hunter, and Tim, who's this Jamaican food-loving, go-hard-with-music kind of guy. Like, it's... Uh, <laughs> And it's it's it, amazing. 
it's just like life you know you, you get these this circle of friends around you and you people come in and out of your life kind of like you know just like uh you know different seasons and um it's nice when you can see them on the road it's just a it's a it's pretty interesting nomadic life you know we feel like pirates on the highway and you run into another ship of fools and and say hey i love it jason mccoy and the road hammers um thanks for sharing a little piece of your life with us today jason it's great to see your face again brother oh man it's great to see you and uh, i can't wait to see you in person and uh, pass on a big hey to jody for me and uh, again you know seeing all our friends in the crowd or on stage or behind the mic it's just uh, it's it's a real treat what a great life it's the shift podcast it's time for the world of weird things welcome, welcome to the world of weird things with greg fish fishy how's it going wonderful thank you sir world of weird things.com how are you doing i'm doing i'm doing yeah um we've got a uh an interesting topic here on the blog from world of weird things.com today about the pandemic it's good news tuesday fish we're gonna do good news it's got to be good news tell me you have some sort of good news here anything or is uh... this just all bad news it's not completely bad. It's a mixed we, bag. Weird news is very rarely good news, Fish. Yeah, I'm sorry to say that, but kind of our fault, you know, as people. So right. I can explain a little bit more detail. So here's... Now let me get the headline here first once for a sec for you there, Fish. How anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers added years to the COVID pandemic is the headline. And now to explain... Find us something good to come out of this fish. <laughs> so, okay, well, you know what? Let's start with the good news and keep going downwards. So the good news is that the pandemic will be over. From everything that scientists have seen, from everything that we know about coronaviruses, this will settle itself out. We are not going to, this is going to be, COVID's going to be with us forever at this point, but there's a very high likelihood that it's going to evolve in an equilibrium with us, where for the vast majority of us, it's going to be a nuisance. It's not going to threaten us the way that it does, still does today, uh, much less threatened us before. The that's, that's the good news. The bad news is that it's now going to take a lot longer than it should have taken. Because when we got the vaccines, there was a push. Let's vaccinate 70% of the population as quickly as we possibly can, because that's where, where we're pretty sure we had herd immunity. If we would have hit that goal, as we were on track to hit that goal in the summer in both the United States and Canada, then we would have basically stopped the spread of COVID. We could we don't have we wouldn't have to wear masks, wouldn't have to worry about a lot of things. Uh, we we could basically kind of return to our lives as normal. That was the plan. By the end of the year, we should have been fine. Unfortunately, some people decided that we're not going to be doing that. And instead, we're going to plant fear and we're going to plant doubt. And we're going to go to school board meetings and threaten teachers and superintendents and officials with violence if they adopted mask mandates. We were going to try and undermine vaccination efforts. We were going to tell people to, tell, to take horse dewormer instead of, you know, actual medicine or just get a vaccine. Um, and all of that combined, along with the evolution of the Delta variant, has really kind of set us back. 
so we're looking at at least another three to five years where we're going to have to actively suppress the pandemic through vaccinations and booster shots. So now booster shots have become inevitability much faster than we thought they would be. We thought, well, every year or so we're going to get a booster. But in reality, it looks like we're going to be looking at every six to nine months with different formulations for different strains because the virus is still evolving. And the more people get it, the faster it evolves. And with the cases being back on the rise in the United States and Canada, in some places in the United States, completely out of control, with governors basically blocking every single possible way that we could slow it down, it's it's not it's really not looking great. So now what we're essentially trying to do is we're trying to keep vaccinating so we stay enough on top of the virus. Um, especially people who are immunocompromised, especially people who are older, because as we get older, our immune system gets worse and worse and worse. Like after 60, it's, uh, it, it, there's, there's a lot of wear and tear on it, and antibodies live a lot shorter uh, than someone who's younger and stronger. So what's going to end up happening is we're still going to get all these new variants. We're going to try and keep on top of them, and then we're just going to hope that because, like most coronaviruses, um, this particular strain uh, that causes COVID is going to kind of evolve into something that's much more benign than it, than it is today. Um, we're going to be able to build up enough antibodies through vaccination, through ex- through exposure in the wild, to we can actually have some active defenses against it. Now, that makes sense. Although I did need to correct one thing. Ivermectin, which is the the horse deworming drug, is a legitimate human uh, drug and dosage that is prescribed to humans uh, in many cases. Just as this is the way you said it, I want to clarify the information for everyone else. But you have to go to a doctor to get it. The reason why people are going and buying it, the horse dose, is because then you don't have to go to the doctor. Now, why would you go buy the horse dose and not go to your doctor? Because the doctor is not going to give it to you around COVID. So just to be clear that there is a version of it for the people, this is not the version of it for the people. Just want to yes, pass abs- that on, make sure that we're clear. No, that, no, that, that is absolutely, no, that is absolutely right. And, and I, I definitely did want to clarify that going further. Uh, one of the little rhetorical flourish, but yes, it is an antiparasitic that does have legitimate medical uses in humans under the right formulations, but it's an antiparasitic. It's not an antiviral. What you need is an antiviral. That's kind of, you know, that we we should know that, like, we shouldn't have to tell people you don't take antibiotics, you don't take anti-malarial drugs, you don't take antiparasitics for a virus, because that's just not how it works. Um, Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings us to the other problem of why are people resisting this, like, really basic, uh, all these really basic precautions, because, you know, let's think about this, this is a virus, the virus doesn't care who you are, what your political beliefs are, who you vote for. It looks at you pretty much the same way that you would look at your favorite donut at Tim Hortons. Like you're Mm. just fuel for it, nothing else. So you would think something that that has absolutely no, um, it's just a force of nature, really. Why don't we want to band together and defeat it. And that's that's really the big question that a lot of people are, are really struggling with uh, and are trying to figure out how do we approach people who are right now actively making things worse with spreading fear, with spreading doubt, with spreading lies, with 
spreading hesitation to get vaccinated. Um, there's a lot of different explanations, but really they boil down to there's a certain strain of people who cannot stand the fact that they don't have that agency to decide what they want to do when they want to do it, even if it's something that is life and death. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have that psychology. If nobody tells me what to do except me, and if you tell me what I wanted, if you tell me to do something that I already wanted to do in the first place, now I'm not going to do it because that's that shows my my freedom. That's they you can why they want to do that can be different because some in some cases they may not have a lot of power. They don't feel like they have a lot of power and agency in their daily life. So this is how they assert their agency. In other cases, they are control freaks. Um, in other cases, they are just uh you know let's let's be honest some of these people are just bad people like they they want to um they want to watch the world burn like that's just their psychology they oh, don't they some don't some people care. think it's funny some people post things online that i took this and it worked just because they want to watch it happen it's kind of like the tide pods thing right there all of these challenges on youtube were sort of the same in that they didn't really take the Tide Pods. They faked it, put it on YouTube, got a bunch of clicks, and then a bunch of little kids tried to do it. So there are all kinds of bait and switch mechanisms and videos that are out there to do that. Now, Fish, for the sake of debate and discussion here, you're assuming that the Western world is the only bubble here. One could say that we would be better off if we didn't go for third doses, if we didn't even go for second doses, and we allowed the whole world to get one dose as opposed to the areas of the world that have none. Your theory that says that all of the variants come from this sort of perpetuation of the growth cycle of the bugs, um, it would still happen in these places that have no access, like third world countries, to a regular steady supply. So even though that in the Western world, even if everybody got vaccinated, COVID would still be growing and uh, mutating in other parts of the world. This is true. However, there's a couple caveats. First and foremost, if you, at this point, it would take about 85 to 90% uh, vaccination rate. But if the Western world is 85 to 90% vaccinated, COVID has a much harder time getting foothold in our bubble here. Um, likewise, what's going to happen is if we if we start getting lax on vaccine discipline anywhere, that is another place where new variants can evolve. Because let's remember, it's all over the it's all over the globe. There's places where we definitely need to try and get a lot more control and a lot more vaccines, and that has to happen. But at the same time, if we also say well, two doses is enough. We don't have to worry about a third dose. Let's not. Let's just get everybody vaccinated with the first dose, and then hopefully their second. Then we'll see what happens. The consequence of that is that a lot of people will die because the variants are still going to have is are still going to be able to get out and get a foothold where we don't have enough vaccination, where we don't have enough um, exposure. You are essentially trying to say that when you're making that argument. The unspoken part of it is that there's we're willing to accept X many deaths here so we can prevent Y many deaths there. And I, I understand that there's a calculation that has to be made 
when we're dealing with pandemics. But this is a this is not a very simple calculation to make, um, and it's not just is not just a matter of these people have some people have fewer vaccines vaccine doses. Some people have more, therefore we need to make it more fair. It doesn't it doesn't quite work that way. It's not it's not quite as simple. And really honestly, we should be doing both. We should be boosting as much supply as we possibly can to places that are still struggling to vaccinate enough people while maintaining uh the the protection levels of those who have been vaccinated. I get it. I guess that I just can't help but look at the the perspective of there seems to be this layer of attitude in our Western world. And I'm not saying with you, I'm just saying sort of this underlying attitude that as long as the deaths don't happen here, we're okay. And I, I, yeah, you don't think that that's an underlying thing because in, in all of the, all of the vaccine conversation has been, you know, we do ours first and protect our health systems and everything else, which I would agree with. And those other countries are going to have to fend for themselves. Yes. Okay. Well, that's just, you know, harsh, right? That's, it's harsh. It's reality if the government can't do it. But at what point do, you know, third level, very, very good coverage where we are benefit us in the long run if a little bit of coverage is dished out elsewhere before everyone's done where we are? That's a very complicated calculation. There's a lot of um, epidemiologists and doctors scratching their heads to figure out that one to be mm. uh, to be perfectly fair. And you're absolutely correct. There's definitely people who have the attitude of, well, if if the death is somewhere else, that's not going to bother us. To which my counterpoint is Delta. Delta came from India when their system effectively almost collapsed under the weight of COVID cases outbreaks over there will make it over here that's just a certainty it's it's going to happen unless we completely seal every single border on earth it's going to it's it's just going to happen that's true it has it's a very good reminder that the world is an incredibly small place and not to be forgotten that it is and it can't you know i mean these this is the reality so now so many people have been so desperate for a solution so what do you see in that desperation here? Because, um, you know, before we wrap it up, the conversation about anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers adding years to the pandemic, um, what do you see in sort of the panic around the world? Because there's the sort of this panic piece, and then there's the desperate for info piece, and, oh, God, this is out of control. I'll grab onto any piece of info I can find. Well, it, it really does come down to two very important things. First of all is, is critical thinking. We all have to be working on our critical thinking because one of the big biggest problems that we encounter today is that with social media, during a time of crisis, there's a lot of people who are happy to sell us whatever it is that we want to hear. Maybe some people do want to hear outrage and they want to you know imagine themselves as like being able to, you know, get into this Mad Max world where they'll be, you know, Immortan Joe and uh, be, you know, warlords of the desert, you know, getting their finest bondage gear ready and polished. 
There's other people who want to hope that, you know, they can just go to a veterinary store and get a version of an antiparasitic that will magically cure their COVID. Um, you have all sorts of different views that are being served by social media with no regard whether it's correct or not. So we really need to exercise critical thinking because there's people waiting to take advantage of us. And, and that's really important. The other uh, concern is that we need to be much more um, discerning in the politicians who we vote into office um, at every level. There are a lot of places uh, where local decisions can make a huge difference between maintaining um, maintaining a uh, sane caseload and letting that caseload explode. And we need to make sure that we're voting for people who are reasonable, who actually want to be in public service, who are not using a crisis to get ahead uh, or tell us what we want or lead some sort of a revolutionary movement uh, for people who are bored and looking for a purpose and for something to fight. Uh, and then finally, and most importantly, we need to remember that, you know, we no person is an island. And I don't say that from, you know, some sort of a very high minded standpoint. I say it from a very selfish standpoint, I'm surrounded by people. If the people around me don't do well, if the people around me are sick, I'm not going to do well and I'm going to end up getting sick or I'm going to become a target for them. And that's the case for everybody. You know, we don't live in family packs. We don't live in small isolated tribes. We live in modern advanced civilizations that have millions and millions of people in them. We have to interact with each other. We have to watch out for another. There's an argument to be made of how much we have to do it. There's definitely a lot of debates about what should be tackled by the community versus what should be tackled by an individual. And we can have all those debates. But for something as basic as there's a pandemic out there and people are getting sick, it should be pretty pretty evident that we, we want everybody or at least as many people as possible to survive. We want everybody to be practicing good hygiene. We want everybody wearing masks and, and washing their hands until this is over and getting their vaccinations because the virus doesn't care about our posturing. It's just going to kill us if we don't do anything about it. So those are really the three key steps. Critical thinking, making sure that we have, that we think of, of our communities and, and what's going to happen to those around us. And very importantly, making sure that those who we choose to lead us, those who we choose to administer our laws and policies, get that and understand that we're trying to maintain a healthy society here. It's an interesting conversation, wordofweirdthings.com. Frankly, Greg, I think that uh, your points lead more towards an argument of um, technology sharing in regards to uh, vaccines, because some of the vaccines in the world that are being distributed are way less effective than others and so that could be a thing as as well so we it's we interesting thanks so have much to Greg. wave the we have to wave the ip rights for vaccines we just have to yeah yeah uh, there's all kinds of standards things to that conversation too but maybe that's another one for another day greg fish world of weird things.com thank you brother always a pleasure thanks for listening to the shift podcast Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.